Hi, I want to start this episode with a free way that you can help us out. Usually we talk about the Patreon. Really, though, if you can just tell your friends or tweet about us or write about us on social media or message boards, just help spread the word. That would go a long way. We solely do this by word of mouth, and it would be cool to watch the show grow as we kind of get into the back half here. So, yeah, just tell your friends or signal boost on social media, all of that good stuff. Thanks. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books by Stephen King. Do you ken it? Uh, <laughs> my name is Cole Ross, and today I am joined by Autumn Greer. Delighted to be here as always. Welcome back. Welcome to the wolves season. This is where stuff gets really fun. Uh, yeah, this is this is crazy. <laughs> I love this. Um, so I'm very happy that you're on here because we are talking about uh, kind of the first third of the section of the book called Telling Tales, uh, which is uh, a, a large amount of it is actually dedicated toward kind of following up on where Donald Callahan has been since the events of Salem's Lot. So it's fantastic to have you here. Uh, since you were on that episode. That way you can be assured that I'll get all of your deep cut jokes on Salem's Lot, huh? Oh, yeah. I, I was thinking about this a while back. During the Salem's Lot episode, you know, just moving through a whole book, there are details that you skip over. I can't believe we skipped over Mr. Flip. That's m entirely my fault. I don't think we talked about how Barlow um, straight up pulled an it and uh, presented himself as Callahan's version of the boogeyman. Huh. <laughs> yeah, we just we straight up didn't talk about that. And and this book this book doesn't talk about it either. Oh no, just um anytime you miss like a kind of like flag name check kind of thing, that's <laughs> it, flat flag name checks and nineteen and ninety-nine. Those mm. are the, the only three things you need to know about the series. <laughs> yep. It, it just uh, it, fake it. It's like faking playing the <laughs> piano or being a wine taster. <laughs> so this is your first episode of this season. Uh, how are you finding Wolves of the Cala this time? Well, Wolves of the Cala is probably one of my top three uh, books in this series, which I don't know. I think that 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 says a lot. I'm having so much fun. Yeah. Um, and like the just I, I forget how many times had you had you done this one before by done? I mean, read. This this is probably my fourth or fifth time. Actually, maybe a little bit more, maybe fifth or sixth time reading this one. I probably read uh, book six, maybe twice. And yeah. I think I've only read book seven once. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting, getting to seven again. Um, but five is also, I'm finding very good because it is, um, it, it's, it's so different, right? Like you look at it and most of like, you know, a lot of it is dialogue. You know, you, we do get to a, you know, a, a, the, 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 the caramel center of action, the Tootsie Roll center of, you know, shoot, shooting wolves off, off of their gray horses. But like a lot of it is just the weirdness starting to spiral out of control and go almost entirely through like character work. Right. I absolutely. And I think he does such a good job. Our our fearless author of blending all the different worlds together. Like this could have been a muddy mess mm -hmm. and he does such a good job of keeping the worlds separate and moving the plot along in between them. Yeah. Um, well let's, let's go ahead and get started and start talking about kind of Callahan's road or roads or worlds or America's Sorry, I, I glitched out there for a second. Um, <laughs> talk about kind of where this goes. Um, and this begins um, with more coincidences, although Susanna makes great points, takes great pains to say coincidence is canceled. Um, you know, when, when, when last we left uh, the group, they were agreeing to ride into town and start um, and start surveying it to make sure that it's even defensible. Um, and Eddie is real worried because gulp, he's never ridden a horse before. He's going to look like a fool if he hops up on that there, on that there roan stallion or mare. Those are words, right? Uh, and, 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 and falls over. But the coincidence is both he and Jake, both city boys through and through, 
they end up taken to horses like riding bicycles. <laughs> you know what a what a wonderful coincidence. Yeah, they bring up the idea of uh, of of past lives. Just that uh, this the you know controlling this controlling this majestic beast and not being, I guess, kicked off and being thrown into a well um <laughs> is uh comes naturally to them which is which is good and you know more of this kind of uh sense of unreality and unease that eddie feels at pretty much all points of the day now the idea of arthur eld banging his way through brooklyn so he could sire eddie really tickles me to death <laughs> is, it, is it like he's got a to-do list a, a, yeah, liter a literal to, up into town to to do <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so but yeah, that one's the that one is a freebie. Um and there's a little bit of a heartbreaking scene here with uh with uh Jake, Benny, and Roland. Like Jake has been denied a childhood, uh basically since well his parents were awful to him, uh, but also since his new parent was awful to him by dropping him off of a railroad trestle. Um <laughs> Jake wants to say to stay over with Benny Slightman and Roland has a moment of like, oh my gosh, like what have I done to this kid where like going and spending the night with your friend is something you feel awkward about asking about. I love how Jake invokes the quartet to ask if he can have a sleepover. Like he's like, may I please speak to you as Din? <laughs> you know, like he's so formal. <laughs> Roll up to your dad with a PowerPoint proposal about how you should have breakfast for dinner tonight. Yeah. And then Roland's so cute. Like Roland is practically like, you know, call me from the Slightmans as soon as you get there. And I want to see their number on the caller ID. <laughs> it's hard to tell if he's being genuine uh when, when when he kind of like tries to comfort uh, comfort jake because what he says is like oh you know my, my teacher court he said well, you know one eye sees fly you have to have two eyes in different places to you know to, to see things in their full dimension like okay so he's telling jake don't feel bad because by going and staying somewhere else you know we're going to be over here with callahan you, you, you go stay with your friend you're going to be able to like do extra recon for us you're going to see the town from a different perspective like that could very well just be roland trying to like ease jake into being a kid by saying, "Okay, you've got a you've got a huge mission. You need to uh, stay up all night telling ghost stories with your friend, and maybe eat way too much popcorn." You know, for somebody that, as you mentioned, dropped a kid off of a train trestle, he is a really good dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and here, like, it is. I mean, terrible stuff is going to happen later. I don't think that's a surprise. A surprise to anybody, like. It is neat to get to see the entire quartet, not just Roland and Jake, kind of have, you know, exist in this bastion of civilization and not just be on the road where the only the only thing we see Roland doing with Jake is putting him into danger. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Roland mentioned how he's going to stop seeing him as the boy, you know, or he's going to need to stop doing that. I, I have to imagine at this point, Jake's getting one of those like reedy little mustaches and he probably smells terrible all oh, the time. Yeah. He's got those little like dude hormones, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to you have to grade on a curve because they, they're bathing in creeks, you know, <laughs> 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 and and Jake is you know he is sleeping alongside what could cherry will be be called a raccoon, so <laughs> <laughs> so I mean he doesn't have an all awful lot of assets uh, stink wise to begin with stink assets we call them. <laughs> so, um, so that's that, that that's bittersweet. At least uh, at least Jake gets to have his friend um, for a little bit anyway. Um, so basically as they're getting into town, the town is also getting ready to receive them, uh, both as a way to celebrate uh, the presence of gunslingers, but also really to just get a sense for whether or not they're the real deal. Um, the little plate show that they did before is not necessarily, uh, enough to convince everybody. Uh, not everybody got a chance to see that. So they're throwing a big old a big old party at the pavilion and Roland says, Hey, they're going to give you some, uh, they're going to give you some graph. You're going to need to swap that out for some iced tea, like right quick though. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a good dad. This is the exact mm -hmm. advice a, a growing boy in your cartet needs. 
You know what? You don't have to. You don't have to drink it. Just walk around carrying it. That way, nobody gives you trouble, right? Just old <laughs> old, old teen party tricks. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised that Roland didn't take him to the side and teach him how to do like a, a real quick waltz or something like that, just in case there's a little dancing. <laughs> Damn it, maggot! You got to put your hands on my lower on my back. Um, yeah, you know. <laughs> don't be afraid to get close to me, maggot. Um. Yeah, you know. God, those were embarrassing times. Got to make sure you know, you know how to it's slow funny. dance. <laughs> when when you say maggot, of course, you're referencing court. There is a line somewhere in this section where court has some saying about how the, the one-eyed man sees this and the man with both eyes. Didn't Roland's bird scratch out one of court's eyes? <laughs> yeah. A little bit of dramatic like, irony in that. <laughs> yeah, like if if that was one of his branded sayings about the one eyed one eyed man sees this, but the two eyed man sees this. Like, mm. sorry, bro, you just got downgraded pretty fierce. <laughs> um, and I think by the time Court died, he was blind as a bat too. I don't think he had any working eyes left at the end, so he was not even a king in the land of the blind. <sighs> Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, we get a real uh, a real picture of the Cala of what Calabrinster just looks like. It is described as being like paradise. Honestly, you just uh, the 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 amount of growth and the amount of just uh, kind of civilization that's present here really puts really puts Eddie back on his heels. And Eddie is our viewpoint character for a lot of this um, in the early going of this part. He is, and it's um, I don't know. It's really cool seeing Eddie kind of come into his own in this section. Yeah. You know, a little bit later we'll see Roland put him up for a speech. Like this is this is a really <laughs> developmental, I guess section for eddie with some of the things we also see later with roland uh, and he conversing about Susanna. yeah uh, you know eddie even kind of reflects on that too you know like this is a time you know the first time since river crossing where eddie understands that roland wasn't just you know a, a sheriff or an executioner or any of these things he was also a diplomat and like you know back at the camp eddie saw how roland was manipulating them and he really gets a it's, it's a bit of a confidence boost for him actually understanding that there probably is a role for somebody whose primary whose primary skill is to uh, is to talk you know like eddie is mm -hmm. you know with his with his high charisma score and what have you um and he, <laughs> he also later remarks on how ridiculous it is that everybody is looking at him with reverence as a gunslinger when you know probably six months ago he was sitting in his underwear uh eating cheerios and out of his eating cheerios watching cartoons and out of his mind on heroin which sounds like a great day <laughs> just a just a saturday afternoon you know <laughs> in in your underpants uh high on heroin yeah eating cereal yeah you know just uh just uh, do, do, does a body good <laughs> <laughs> uh and andy i need to get your impressions on andy too because he has a real he has a real moment here oh uh, andy <laughs> andy andy you know we were just talking about characters that love to talk mm-hmm <laughs> yeah well andy's one of those people who when he doesn't understand something grinds everything to a halt too you know like just uh <laughs> eddie says oh i was just talking to it just talking to myself which is just a way to a way to brush off and say yeah nothing nothing going on here look away andy comes mm -hmm. in and says ah yes a person who talks to himself has a fool for a partner or something or a fool for a lawyer maybe i don't know um eddie calls him a snot or something like that it says we've got a we, we've got a saying in brooklyn something about snot and andy just like takes time in the conversation to define snot <laughs> like, come on he, he's he's basically basically diagramming the sentence yeah grow some tact andy also like maybe understand <laughs> maybe understand when people don't want the horoscope please um especially Susanna, who might not realize it uh consciously but uh, maybe she doesn't want to hear about the, the the handsome man she's going to meet or how she's going to have two ideas, one bad, one good, and you will have a dark-haired dot, dot, dot um, baby. Are you, do you mean I'm going to have a dark-haired baby? Andy, what are you talking about? This is the one time they should not have interrupted Andy. <laughs> Madam, you are positively glowing. Um, Andy, <laughs> shaking your fist at him. <laughs> but they get to the pavilion and Eddie has the creeps. He believes that uh, they're going to come and put them up on the Charu tree right away. 
Um, and the crowd gathers and Overholzer presents them uh, to that, presents them to the crowd like they're just like specimens on display. A um, couple of notable things here. They make their introduction saying, et cetera, of the line of Eld, son of et cetera, and so on. Um, Eddie, when prompted, uh, says that they are of the Cotet of 19, and Jake says we are the Cotet of the 90 and 9. This comes out of nowhere, is unremarked upon, aside from, huh, it's weird how I felt compelled to say that. That is going to be very important <laughs> later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just just like in this book, something that comes out being important is when they roll up to this party, there's a table with a big-ass feather on it. Oh, Yeah. Which, I mean, is basically just like Lord of the Flies. It's the shell that represents order. Or it's Piggy's glasses. I hope nobody breaks Piggy's glasses. <laughs> Otherwise, we're fucked. Yeah, it's the Apotomax uh, <laughs> feather from the from the beginning of the book that they were uh, passing around. Yeah. How adorable yep. is it that Oi even bows and introduces himself to? I, I, probably probably one of the best moments in the book it's very good i want to i like i wish somebody had a cell phone camera so they could have taken a picture and then the dodo could have put it up with some ukulele music over it <laughs> i would i would share the hell out of that video oh it would be very sure snackable content is what we call it. that is a snackable bumbler <laughs> uh, <laughs> he even he even bows yeah just as like he, he does a little put, puts one foot in front of the other like it's real tentative but he's just following the lead but maybe he knows uh see that, that that's that's the space that like always like the husband who intentionally does a bad job washing the dishes you know you you, you kind of maybe don't you, 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 like you know maybe he's slow walking it uh, in order to have you stop asking but like just there's that doubt there and he can like he he with uh he uh uh Maintains the right to surprise you, irritatingly. Mm -hmm. You know what? I think I hate Oi now. <laughs> no, I don't hate Oi. <laughs> we're, we're off that. No more Oi. <laughs> it's the quickest turnaround. No, it's uh, Oi, Oi remains delightful. Uh, like we said earlier, Roland puts Eddie on as uh, the spokesman, which is, uh, which is probably the right call. Although... <laughs> It is hilarious when one of the one of the townspeople, George Telford, kind of like implies that Eddie is stealing valor a little bit and says like, oh, have you ever even shot those guns? And just thinking about like killing people in cold blood and blood, the look on his face makes Telford like back up and call him gunslinger. Like, you know, even in the face of that skepticism, like Eddie is enough, you know, Eddie's demeanor is enough to prove that, like, yeah, we, we are steel. This is another really good moment for Eddie too. Like he's just finished giving like a big speech, kind of winning the townspeople around a little bit, like kind of being the opening MC, like warming the crowd up. <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight? Yeah, and he's, <laughs> he's he's jealous too. Like he's like, oh gosh, I've got to I've got to talk to old Whitey here while everybody else gets to talk to all these fascinating people. Uh, <laughs> but no, like, they're, and they're listening to good music. They've got like, uh, they've got banjos and mandolins out there. It's uh, it's real good. There's even a little bit of like uh, show and tell. Callahan gets up and sings an Irish bar song. Yes, yeah, Susanna sings too. I I wasn't as familiar with that Made of Constant Sorrow song. I kept the second. I'm like, wait, wait, that that's not the song from Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I had to go listen to it. I isn't it? I think it is. It's a similar, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I was like, is that the same thing? <laughs> That's a whole different gender. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, just you know, just mix it up. Do one of the do one of the two. I think we yeah, it's a folk <laughs> it's a folk song. We 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 sang that in choir at one point. We did we did a whole Oh Brother Where Art Thou medley. Um because we went to the we, I went to high school in the early two thousands, so I guess that's in, in in band we played a Shrek medley and in choir we did we we, we did Oh Brother Where Art Thou. <laughs> Wow, this is a killer episode of Glee, huh? I know, right? It's very misguided. <laughs> um, but yeah, like everybody's, um, you know, everybody's feeling it, right? The performances are good. Uh, and Roland gets up and he jumps the gun before anybody can say, like, now nah, we got to get these gunslingers out of here. He just straight up does the thing and asks the first two questions. The whole, you know, do you understand what we're here for? Do you, just, you know, do you need aid and succor, et cetera, et cetera, as the, as the town fathers look on in horror. And then, and then he says, you know what? You, you, you can't stop me. Everybody's going to love me because I'm going to dance the Kamala. And dance it, he does. <laughs> so this is, I don't know how to feel about the Kamala, the Kamala uh, honestly. 
Um, it is loving. Has... It is lovingly described. Go 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 ahead. You were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say, has any author ever worked harder to make it sound like this is like rap music? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the, it's it's Eddie. You know, we're, again, we're get, we're getting this from Eddie's point of view, and Eddie is like listening to Roland pound out this beat. You know, with his you know with his with his boots on the stage, right, doing this dance and kind of singing along this rapid fire, syncopated, repetitive song. You know, come come Kamala, rise come Afala. You know, they just just basically this like folk dance and folk song about. That is simultaneously about a good rice harvest and also just spraying jizz. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. It kind of sounds like like Roland is river dancing to the Yin Yang Twins. <laughs> That's a very apt comparison. River dance is a <laughs> is a very close one because it is like something between like uh, between like line dancing and uh, and like a tap routine is is is, is what Eddie. <laughs> is what Eddie refers to it as. And the crowd is into it. Like they're shouting, come, 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 come. Um, like on, I, on the beat I, as he's doing it. I guess in keeping with the rap thing, it's like that, that David Banner like song play, right? Come Roland, I'm trying to get your body wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He's just, he's, he's, he's just going for it. Um, I just, I don't know how my, I don't know how I feel about Clint Eastwood, uh, dancing a jig while everybody shouts jizz, jizz, jizz. Like <laughs> it, it, like, like it's, it's, it's a folk thing, right? You know, Roland knows this from, from, from his days way back when, like the, 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 the idea of a bountiful, a bountiful harvest and also just like general, the general notion of fertility and growth and new life and all that, like that as a connection, this is laid out incredibly bare. There are several pages dedicated to describing this dance. And I think it is just incredibly goofy. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the movie Footloose and Roland's the Kevin Bacon. You know, the wolves didn't want anybody dancing in this town. <laughs> nope. But he's going to come and revive their spirit. He's going to make them want to fight just, just to preserve those, the, the, those dancing, dancing feet. <laughs> <laughs> we, the, we finally have something. We have, we have something to fight for. He just gets down and says, who's going to top that if you're all dead. And he does like a little, you know, like a little tap routine. I really shouldn't have slammed my foot on the floor on the floor because my downstairs neighbor's probably trying to sleep. But he's like, yeah, and just like <laughs> off he goes, like your move. Like, well, I guess we have to. Yes, we have to fight now. <laughs> you know, Roland is like he's like a Justin Timberlake type of figure. He's like a mm. triple threat. He can dance. He can shoot. And I guess he can act <laughs> when he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is a very memorable scene. It's not like the fact that it's goofy means it's bad, <laughs> but like it just it like in, in, uh, every time that I that, that I come to this, I think okay, maybe I'm going to see it from a different angle, you know, in a different light with everything else and you know the notion of, you know, Ariza and Kamala, like those things pop up after this. Uh, really, aside from the fact that this is a, uh, the, the, this, aside from the fact that this is a, uh, a farming community, there really is no basis for them to like linger on this idea as much as they do. <laughs> hey, I mean, they can't help it. The come, come a lot slaps. <laughs> yep. Um, but this, like, it puts everybody over the edge. They're, they're just, you know, rapturous and it goes probably as, as, as far as anything to making them accept these gunslingers, you know, because, you know, any number of cultural reasons around it. So good on him, I guess he made the right move. I, I don't know. It seems like he, he, um, caused some early onset dry twist. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, he he was fine until he danced and now his whole body's gonna fall apart <laughs> yeah <laughs> instead of dancing so well he cured a sick kid he put, he took the sickness into himself yeah. <laughs> like the green mile um so <laughs> we'll talk about the dry the, the the dry twist here in a second but there's a little bit of a cliffhanger there's a there's a seed that's planted callahan takes the takes the tet and Susanna shares a piece of trivia that she found from one of the party guests zalia jafford's old 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 i think grandfather who's still alive and is senile as fuck uh claims to have um seen a wolf and killed one himself 
I think like two uh, two wolf attacks ago, something like that, like seventy years ago. So we're going to come to that. <laughs> and he's, I mean, for this world, that is so old, like Methuselah old. Like you know, everybody in this world has got to die by forty. Oh yeah, like they're they're dying of fear. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it is. Uh, it, it is definitely something uh, remarkable, and nobody really believes that it's going to be that it's going to be true. But he ends up providing really good information. So good on him. Good on you, Pa Jaffords. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Takes us into the chapter called Dry Twist, um, and we haven't really talked about this. Like in the past two episodes, it was just an incidental detail, uh, and it's something that you know, <laughs> Roland uh, that was never talked about at length until until right now. Uh, but Roland has been kind of wincing in pain at weird times. Um, and in his mind, he is resigned to the fact that he has something called a dry twist, like a kind of progressive arthritis that he can play off as rheumatism for a little bit. But it is a pain that is in his lower back, his hip and his leg that will probably incapacitate him within a year. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, that talking about in there like you know he's worried he might have to be carried to the tower that would be a pretty cute picture with like Susanna riding Roland riding Eddie like <laughs> Eddie's just slogging everybody to the tower in their little harnesses <laughs> we, we managed to offload all of the traveling labor to one Brooklyn kid yeah, uh. yeah. <laughs> and his his legs are shredded <laughs> he's just he's got some pillars on him is what he's got Oh man. Yes. <laughs> so um fortunately, uh Callahan's housekeeper, Rosalita Munoz, um, not only is horny for Roland because of, you know, dancing the Kamala so well, uh, she also has a concoction, a little bit of folk medicine, uh that's part peppermint and part I think bile from rock cats out in Thunderclap. Or is it piss? I forget. But- <laughs> Oh, no, it, it is absolutely like a bile stone or something. But think about it. Isn't that what you would say if it was really wildcat urine? Mm, it's like Rocky I Mountain like, Oysters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, it just sounds better saying, oh, it's just a little bit of bile. You know it's urine. He said it has a funky smell. <laughs> yeah, and he's skeptical that it's going to work. But Rosalita says, oh, I'll come back here and uh, you're, I'm going to have to ask you to strip naked so I can rub this on you. Um, and it works. It works great. That that that, I, what, that mountain lion piss uh, is. It works wonders. That's not carrot juice. That's king's piss. Yeah. Excellent reference. Yeah. So uh, this helps out. And also, how great is it that Roland gets to gets to have a sweetheart? You know, this is the first time we've seen Roland have sex and not have anybody get set on fire. Yeah. I th- weirdly enough, I think Rosalita survives to the end of the book where she encounters Roland. Nice. How remarkable is you that? Go- you go, girl. <laughs> you can get it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's uh, that, that ameliorates the problem for now, but it is by no means a... Uh, by no means a permanent solution. They're just up against so many, they're up against so many clocks, right? They've got so many different pressures bearing down and they're not the only people who are saying that like, Oh, it seemed like time didn't exist for forever, but now it feels realer than ever. Right. I think even mm-hmm. Callahan says that. Um, we ought to talk about Roland breaking the news to Eddie. <laughs> I have to say, I've read this book, What I think I said I've read this book six times. Every time I forget that Eddie doesn't lose it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Eddie's like, well, I figured from the swollen breasts, the, <laughs> you know, that something was weird. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's more confused than anything because, you know, she's, she's, she's had her period. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Roland offers a solution that, like, the, you know, the, the, that, that, that would probably... It, when 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 she's carrying a demon baby, that probably um, you know <laughs> probably adds up. You can't really expect how things are going to work. Um, he's more he's more just confused than anything, and offers a little bit of. If he's reproachful, it's not because Roland has kept this for so long. It is because Roland expects him to keep it from Susanna. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm a little, I, I don't know how Eddie gets it done. I'm pretty uncomfortable with that. Like, I, I know, I know Jeremy listens to this podcast. <laughs> Jeremy, if you listen to this episode, please tell me if I am pregnant with a monster baby. <laughs> don't keep it from me. It, it is worth, it is worthwhile information. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's something I'd like to know early, you know, like, yeah. oh, oh, I'm pregnant with a monster baby and everybody knows but me. Fantastic. Yeah, it just it seems like something you should you should you should plan for. You know, there are contingencies. Like, I know Mia's scrappy, but you can't just like while she's sleeping, <laughs> manacle her or something and then just drop the news. <laughs> Say, all right. So you're probably a little confused right now. All of us have come to this conclusion. <laughs> Like, I know she has legs and she's fast, but I mean, you can get the jump on her. Yeah, I mean, like, she, she, she's she's pretty deadly when it comes to frogs, but we're at least, I don't know, three times as big as a frog? I think we, <laughs> I think we have an advantage here. A marked advantage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, that's the other thing, too. I talked about wanting, uh, wanting a plan, uh, wanting to run contingencies. Eddie's thoughts about this are very practical, which are like, all right, so we've got the rose coming, we've got... Um, et cetera, et cetera. Now we have this, who knows if she pops tomorrow? Like we have no idea what to expect. It seems like everybody should be on the same page. So we know what to do, you know, so that we're not, so that we're not fighting the wolves when she decides to go into labor in earnest. Right. Yeah. There's a moment in there where Eddie asks Roland, to, you know, s- swear that he'll do everything he can for Susanna. And, um, then Roland's like, yes, absolutely. And then in his mind, he pictures Jake falling into the abyss. <laughs> just, just, just feeling, uh, first off, picturing Jake falling into the abyss while the theme from, uh, while the theme from Curb Your Enthusiasm plays in the background. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> but also feeling incredibly grateful that, um, that, that Eddie wasn't there because Eddie would never trust Roland again if he saw that with his own eyes. <laughs> Yeah, that's something that sticks in your brain tape. Little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this adds more weight and more stress onto the kind of the fabric of the content, right? Just the you know the idea that hey, we're starting to keep secrets from each other. You know, not even with you know, notwithstanding the fact that Roland is keeping a bigger secret from them, which is you know he is in tremendous pain all the time and is probably going to need to be carried to the tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's it, it's it's all bad. They've got a lot of timers, a lot of timers on the old uh, on the old echo there going on. Yeah, as, pop. as they as they say, shit's getting real. Absolutely. As we get into the priest tale, uh, New York is the subtitle for this. They're waiting for the uh, some twins to come over to uh, to help draw a map of the town so they can plan. And before Callahan will show them Black Thirteen, you know they you know, he basically needs to tell his story, right? It feels like it's part of the way things ought to go. Um, and we go back to well before, well before even the events of Salem's Lot. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in Salem's Lot, Callahan was really disaffected, right? He was a he was a fine priest to the people of the town of the town, but also was very uh, kind of disillusioned with where with where faith had gone, right? You know, his whole hang up about oh, just we we we've replaced actual demons with social demons, etc. But in the intervening time, he has realized, oh no. All of that was because I was drunk. I wasn't actually like disappointed with the church. I just was too blinded by the booze to actually to actually be well adjusted. I thought that was a really cool kind of moment for that character. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously now with a little bit of space from where he was, I mean, he can kind of put that together. But um, my dude was a was a mess b- before, <laughs> during, and after Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. yeah and finally now they <laughs> now that his only uh his only pressing concern is the ultimate artifact of all evil that can drop him through uh tear in the fabric of reality at the drop of a pin now that that's his only concern he actually has the perspective he needs to gain clarity on things um, you know there was a there was a little throwaway line earlier in the book when they were talking about you know what he had where he mentions that he's traveled to different places and he mentions the small town in mexico called los zapatos which is absolutely the town that ben mears and the 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 boy were in in Mm -hmm. salem's lot yeah um 
what a weird place for for Callahan to just go. Yeah, for him to uh, for 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 him to just pop up. Um, yeah, I wonder if that was before or after because Callahan eventually he went to Ben Mears's funeral. So I wonder, I wonder if he if he went to that funeral and learned and and and, le- and learned about kind of where they had been before they before they decided to go back. <laughs> He's probably like, you know, if there was one good priest there, maybe I should go talk to that guy and get some clarity. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're um, saying the priest was helpful. Yeah. So this is this is really strange. I want to get your I want to get your opinion on where this on where this little cutaway comes from because this definitely feels like Stephen King had an outline for what he wanted the sequel to Salem's Lot to be. Like he was mm-hmm. fascinated with with Callahan's with Callahan's character and had in the in the intervening time kind of gone through his own battle with addiction. Like all of this feels like <laughs> something that was born out couldn't have actually been its own its, its its own story and he worked it into the greater tower cycle. Yeah, I think that that that's absolutely correct. You know, I think that the most fascinating thing about it was the concept of just being unclean. Like once that blood, and I think he described it as a mealy spoiled apple taste, and he started drinking again to try to get rid of that taste um, after he was forced to to drink um, that type one vampire's blood in the previous book. Like it's the church door burning his hands, like always having that taste in his mouth. I mean, it, 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 the imagery is fantastic. Yeah. Have you read, um, have you read Dr. Sleep? I have. And I, I'm glad you bring that up because this feels very, very similar to me. I mean, that's what we see with older Danny. And even sometimes when we're seeing some of the dead and everything like that, I mean, it, it, I definitely catch a, a Dr. Sleep vibe from, Callahan's post Salem's Lot life. Yeah, I just because because they both so heavily depend on kind of AA culture, um, and mm-hmm. also like Callahan being on being on the highways and kind of being plugged into. I mean, in, in his case, it's supernatural. You know, the, the the roads that he's traveling on, but kind of be, being plugged into and seeing just things that other, that otherwise would fall would fall beneath um, beneath notice. You know, the signs. Well, they all- yeah. They, they both find, um, you know, good guys who get it, who aren't afraid to give a drunk a job. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I like Dr. Sleep quite a bit. I, 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 I enjoyed it um, a lot. I don't know about it as a sequel to The Shining, but it was a good, it's a good book. Um, Absolutely. And I, yeah. And I, I hadn't read that before. Basically, this is the first time that I have, that I've read uh, Wolves of the Callus since I read Doctor Sleep. So, like the the similarities really really stick out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so Callahan retells you know his part of the climax of Salem's Lot, talking about losing his battle of faith with Barlow and being forced uh, to drink his blood. I I don't think in the actual in the book Ca- Callahan thinks, oh, I need a drink, and then Barlow gives it to him. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think that's a little bit of an embellishment that was brought in here. I didn't have time to didn't have time to research that. Um, there might be other details that don't line up as well, but I think everything is here to serve the fact that you know the church has rejected him. You know the very idea, you know, his very being is unclean. So he gets on the bus, pays way too much for booze, and then goes off to New York City. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a nice touch speaking of little little synergies that um eddie just so happens to have read ben mears's book he's like oh yeah air dance i read that back in my when <laughs> yep <laughs> that was a freebie so you know exactly the author i'm talking about fantastic yeah what okay. a coincidence. The, 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 this will save us some time um <laughs> weirdly enough this this also i mean it it it, it, it brings forward a possibility that that Eddie is from the level of the tower where um, where Callahan is from, because they because yeah. they they have, they share an author in common. Either that, or there are multiple it, Ben Mears, and this one decided to write Air Dance. It, it just seems a little bit on the nose because again, I don't know if Eddie was a big reader, but I'd imagine when you're you know super addicted to heroin and running drugs for Balthazar. You don't get a lot of time to read prize winning, um, <laughs> books. By. Well, he's, uh, when you're a mule, you spend a lot of time on planes, right? So you got a yeah. lot, you got a lot of time to kill there. Additionally, like if I remember correctly, air dance and basically all of Ben Mears's books are really, really tawdry as well. 
Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so there's definitely an element of like, oh yeah, Eddie definitely read this because he heard there was some, there, there, there was some real killer sex going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Um, we also learned that the cross on Callahan's head didn't come from Barlow. Um, it came from a run in with the Hitler brothers. Uh, but that comes later. They were about to uh, carve a swastika on his forehead, uh, but he stopped them and ended up with a with a with a cross, you know, like you do. Not a Windows ninety five logo, like you should turn every swastika <laughs> into if you see it. Um, you know, carry carry some markers around, fix up those swastikas, make them something less hateful. Um, <laughs> so Callahan ended up working at a, uh, at, a at a at a shelter, a wet shelter. Uh, called home that was actually near the vacant lot over by the UN um, wet shelter, meaning that it is one of the few shelters in New York where people were allowed to be drunk. Uh, it wasn't exactly encouraged. You know, instead of locking up the people who were drunk, they locked up the booze and gave people access to it um, as they needed it for their DTs, etc. And that's kind of where Callahan found his place was kind of working in working in the recovery industry um, at this place that is led by Rowan Magruder, somebody's named Rowan Magruder, who comes up later. But Callahan is primarily working with somebody whose name is Lupe, dot, 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 Delgado. <gasps> That's Susan's last name. Oh, no. And he's also very attractive. Yep. <laughs> um, people out there may be right in. It's my impression that Lupe is a, uh, is, is a woman's name. But this 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 Lupe is 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 a man, and Callahan has feelings for him. Like he straight up comes out and says, "Like, oh yeah, I was in love with Lupe." Like that probably seems weird. You know, everybody has these notions about priests. There was never anything physical beyond you know a single kiss. But just I, you know, this 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 person was was very special to me, which makes what happened to him all the more tragic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is. This is in the 70s, so the next beat here is going to make a little bit more sense, specifically about AIDS. Uh, but Callahan is at a movie watching a revival of some Clint Eastwood westerns, and he hears the chimes. He doesn't know what they are yet, but he hears some chimes, and he starts seeing people, starts seeing people glow. Barlow's blood has, uh, has, has, has given him the sight. He's able to kind of see things for what they are, and he is specifically seeing the energy and kind of the, the fingerprint of what he calls type three vampires. The classification system has always been pretty interesting for me with the the Stephen King vampires. Yeah, I mean it, it it's it's elegant. I haven't really seen it represented anywhere else. I mean the explanation seems to make sense to me. Yeah, I, I so I expected that to have been a thing even as far back as as Salem's Lot. Like it's not though. Mm -hmm. It's not as rigidly defined there. You have Barlow who is the mastermind, and you have kind of the the the, the mindless secondary vampires who are below it. This is <laughs> this is a very studied observation of the different of the different ways that vampires can articulate in fiction, uh, and also a cold blooded analysis of Callahan's victims because Callahan goes full vampire hunter after this oh, oh yeah he even gets like some cool black combat boots like uh -huh. some or like biker boots or something like yeah to give a rundown uh, for anybody who has forgotten the specifics type one vampires are kind of the overlord vampires they're very rare probably about a dozen of them in the world barlow is one of them type one vampires make type two vampires uh which are kind of more close to the undead they live uh, kind of they're, they're basically mindless and they live very short, violent lives after they are turned. When they bite somebody, they turn them into a type three um, who is able to live something of a normal life. They have, you know, they can subsist on food and things like that. Uh, but they're basically mosquitoes like they go around and kind of <laughs> live a little bit of a degenerate life and feed on people. These are the people that Callahan can see. Um, and they're also the people that Callahan ends up uh, hunting down. It it sounds like a one or a three are the way to go because they say the twos tend to burn out too quickly. Yeah, well, like, just uh, the, the way they say it, like uh, they, he describes it like an epidemiologist. Like, oh yeah, like a bunch of twos will pop up, you know, in a short span of time around each other, cause a lot of chaos, and then and and then go away. But threes last basically forever and ever after they've kind of been 
uh, initiated, right? Uh, and the thing that makes this, mm-hmm. um, you know, necessary to be set in the late seventies and early eighties, remember Callahan left our world in 1983 is the fact that, um, is the fact that these vampires are a vector for AIDS, um, which is mm. horrifying. The, 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 there's a little bit of back and forth on like, oh, they, they settled on calling it names. There were a bunch of names for it before I before I left. Callahan is also uh, aghast that they that that people started calling that that, that the phrase "gay" took took uh, took hold for homosexuals. Uh, but then again, you know, people out of time. <laughs> and you know, I have to work out how the the timing gap works with like different phrases and things, but only for races, sexual orientations. Like no one ever says, "Wow, we we don't say bebop, we say this." <laughs> it's always about a slur or yeah. a. <laughs> I need I, I need to make sure that I am as current as possible when I when, when I denigrate somebody. That's the thing. So <laughs> yeah. that, that that's the, that that's what you have to be concerned about. Um, yeah, Stephen King wants us to know that every ten years, something that you say is no longer the appropriate term when it comes to <laughs> someone's identity. You know, yeah, fashions change. Although I thought it was very funny that Callahan said, "Oh, what, when I hear AIDS, I think of a diet candy," which was totally a thing. Uh, like back in the seventies, it was A Y D S. You can look it up. Really? Yeah there 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 was a diet candy. Um, like a, like a weight loss candy called, called, called AIDS that, um, obviously had to change its name, uh, but it never really bounced back because of the association with a terrible disease that affected millions of people and still does today. God, I hope the AIDS family is doing okay now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, who, who knows? Candle that burns twice as bright. I think maybe they <laughs> sold enough candy to, uh, to, 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 to get it, to break into another business. <laughs> Yeah, now they do contracting military, right? I think so, yeah. <laughs> Ever since the AIDS candy didn't work out, it's time to, you know, build uh, weapons. Yeah, just, just manufacture it. Just uh, get, you get bought out by Lemurk, you know? Part, 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 <laughs> part of the, Som- the Sombra family of products. Um, so Callahan, like we said, has fallen in love with Lupe, and he's shocked, you know, when he goes out behind home one day and, see, and sees him being bitten by type 3. He's being fed on. Uh, Callahan is so outraged by this, you know, and was like, what are you, what in the fuck are you doing? He goes up and stabs the, the vampire in the back. And when you kill a vampire, all that's left is clothes, teeth, and hair. What a freak. You're going to murder somebody. <laughs> See, he's still, but he still finds a way to complain about it. Like he's, he's really like, okay, well, how the fuck am I getting rid of these, these teeth and these hair, these teeth and this hair? Um, he's like, okay, count yourself lucky you don't have to get rid of a grown ass man's body. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a freebie if you just hit someone in the back with a cleaver and they literally just disappear. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like, they, they Obi Wan Kenobi down into a pile of clothes and you get to keep the clothes. <laughs> like this is how he closed himself. <laughs> so he's got those nice bally loafers. Yeah, well, he had to donate those, but he got some really durable biker boots after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, shortly after this, though, Lupe dies of AIDS. You know, he, he he watches this happen, goes and visits. Like he's in an oxygen tent in the in the uh, in the hospital. It's just really really bad news because they don't know what to do about it. And just going through that ordeal makes him want a drink, want a drink. And what seals the deal is going properly to Dash and seeing the vagrant dead. He goes into a bar and says, "Hey, I think you've been keeping something for me for the past, you know, six months or what have you. It's a bunch of bushmills. Can you pour me a double?" And that's where he falls they, off of the wagon. And Stephen King did a really good job here because there's a moment with Lupe's funeral where you think that he's not going to fall off the wagon because the the guy that runs the the shelter is like, hey, if you go, if you fall off the wagon, it's going to be like pissing in his face. Yeah, and you don't think it's going to happen, and then, oh man, does he slide? Yeah. Oh, I mean, for years and years, you know. And the the way he puts it is, you know, <laughs> even even with all of that, he never he never gave up. You know, he says like, yeah, I pissed in I pissed in Lupe's face, but at least I didn't, you know, drop trow and do the other thing. You know, like, I was like, okay, that's a little bit of justification there. You definitely relapsed. Um, but he goes into a cycle. Like, he goes into, 
this rhythm of you know working you know long days at temporary labor temporary labor firms i love the names of these places like brawny man <laughs> so but yeah, it's like, like like a day laborer and then you know some days he drinks and the next day he sleeps it off then he goes out hunt and hunts type threes and this is how he uh, this is how he keeps himself clothed while he you know sleeps on the streets. It's interesting. I think it's I don't know if it's two times or three times that we see Callahan sleeping under newspapers. The dude loves sleeping under newspapers. <laughs> he saw a bunch of other people doing it and said, "Well, why not? When in Rome, when, when in Lud, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when in Lud is perfect." Yeah, so he goes into this until he notices that uh, the eye is upon him. Um, he starts noticing some really unsettling things, you know, during his hunts. He comes back and he finds some graffiti near his favorite bench uh, where he sleeps, saying like, oh, he sleeps here. Um, he has gray hair. Um, or he sleeps here. He has a burned hand. And then he starts seeing um, lost dog posters put up describing oh our iris setter he has a mangled he has a mangled paw and he responds to the name like caladin or something like that like they 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 have it like almost right but it's enough to say like oh somebody is after me these signs and the graffiti are so creepy and malevolent are malevolent like it, it's it it's so wrong i mean i, I think that this really works Oh, it's paranoia. It's paranoia fuel. Just the just the idea that you know <laughs> you can't go you can't go on killing monsters forever until maybe they they take notice and start and start coming coming back at you. But just uh you know to to see the evidence of people like triangulating your location and following your routes and stuff like that, knowing that they have not just the ability and wherewithal to you know track you down, but also that they are right on your heels. I would run. <laughs> absolutely yeah um but it's not the vampires that are after him even though it's the vampires that he has been killing um they are something called the low men um the low men in yellow coats uh which are making kind of a return appearance from the short story the low men of yellow in yellow coats from uh from hearts in atlantis <laughs> Yeah, I need to uh so I've never seen that movie uh Hearts in Atlantis where they where they pop up. It is ridiculous to think that there is just a Dark Tower movie with uh Sir Anthony Hopkins in it. You know, I I feel like I've definitely seen that, but I don't have any room to talk because I've never read Black House. Um okay. and obviously huge Dark Tower fan. I'm just waiting for it to come up. Oh yeah. In yeah. the the podcast. Oh, it's coming. It'll be during book seven, I believe, is where it's it's where it is uh where it is poised. Um yeah. But we're gonna learn more about these low men. Uh what we should know for right now is uh they tend to wear yellow raincoats. Um they're sometimes called the regulators. They have permanent red eye, like the you know, they uh they looked into the camera flash. Um, you know, when the, when the, when the picture was being taken and they tend to drive around in kind of gaudy oversized cars, they tend to pick whatever the, uh, whatever the most ridiculous car is. Um, and they are servants of the Crimson King. Um, we have heard tell of the Crimson King before this, uh, when they went to Topeka, uh, and they saw the graffiti about the walking dude, et cetera. There was also a line, you know, there was also a sign saying, you know, all hail the Crimson King with uh the king's mark uh turns out the king has a uh has a castle over there in Endworld beyond thunderclap and callahan says if you're going that way you are definitely going to have to deal with him it's amazing that they're this close to the king's castle oh yeah <laughs> i i think um i think callahan even says at one point he went toe dash there and he was lucky to get out alive wow yeah no, but it is uh it 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 is pretty close and we're going to be getting uh pretty well acquainted with the Crimson King here in a little bit. Um I'm way into him. I'm way into the whole mythology around around him that is uh that is presented here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um but by going around and killing these vampires, he has raised the Crimson King's ire. Uh you know, brought their attention down brought his attention down on him as somebody who has to uh who has to go. So 
the vampires are at least somewhat linked to the forces of evil, the forces of uh, the forces of the, of the red here. So with the, with a low man on his, on his, on his heels, um, he decides, Hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to leave New York. Um, and he leaves on this footbridge across the Hudson river, this kind of ancient wooden footbridge that I think still had cattle troughs on the side of it. Um, uh, that had his bicentennial repairs done in 1975 by Limerick industries. He goes across it and he ends up exiting the bridge, leaving the bridge in a different world. Spiro Agnew is president, which makes very little sense, but we are not uh, in a position to talk about who it makes sense to be president. So <laughs> there was one part where the bottom of a newspaper was in Cyrillic and I'm like, yep, this is definitely the worst timeline. <laughs> yep. Like, like it's it, like the the bottom headline is in Cyrillic. Um, and also like they're talking about terraforming the moon. has it really gotten that bad do we have to do we have to go up there and make earth too that seems really close guys exactly it doesn't seem like we're gonna we're gonna get away from it quick enough if we just go to the moon we gotta think bigger i'm afraid we're gonna look over at any moment and see just the statue of liberty's hand coming out of the beach you know (laughs) just close your eyes for a minute i'm just gonna take a nap oh what what could happen (laughs) so (laughs) Uh, but this is but this is great like he you know he thinks okay well i've been through an awful lot uh after all the stuff in salem's lot after killing you know untold numbers of vampires in new york i never questioned my sanity but like when i'm checking my wallet and noticing that every time i cross this bridge the the presidents on the currency change and also the name of the town on the other side of the bridge changes like this is the first time he actually questions questions his sanity um even after going like properly todash right I'd imagine that looking down and saying President Chadbourne on the ten dollar bill. <laughs> Who's Chadbourne? We gotta get we gotta get these Chads off our bills. <laughs> oh, the 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 the, the Chadbourne versus the Virgin Bond. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so. So yeah, I don't know who this Chadbourne guy is, and Callahan is properly flummoxed because he came out of nowhere, a real outsider. You know, everybody was a, everybody was just tired of this inside baseball up in DC. You got to get Chad Bourne in there. Um, Chad Chad Bourne seventy six or eighty. I don't know. <laughs> um, lots of goofiness with the president until finally uh, Callahan just decides. Well, it doesn't matter if it is the safe world. You know, he calls it the safe world um, or a different one. Like I need to get out. I need to move on. And what he stumbles onto um, in these alternate realities is kind of a natural form of Todash, you know, it is not necessarily brought on by the chimes, but existing in almost like a negative space, what he calls the highways and hiding, you know, where moving from place to place also kind of takes you into and out of a reality, similar to like passing through the thinny on the Kansas turnpike, um, you know, like, like, like happened to book four, right? I love this section of the book. I think he does such a good job of conveying the wanderlust. I mean, just the kind of monotonous. I mean, there's no joy in what Callahan's doing. He's just surviving and just moving in a straight line forward. Yeah. Like he has a little bit of a base um, across the bridge. He sets up as a short order cook, but the, but his boss, you know, decides like, Hey, you make a, you make a damn fine Monte Cristo. However, um, I, I also notice you've got something. You told me you didn't have anything. Um, you've got itchy feet. You've got the wanderlust. Um, you know, and, and when he decides to move on, like it's just kind of tacitly understood that, you know, somebody who is carrying around Callahan's baggage is not going to stay in the same place for very long. I'm tempted to like make a comparison to the incredible Hulk at this point. Um, but that I don't actually want to diminish how cool, how cool this is by like making it into yeah, a well, goof. You would also not like, Callahan when he's he's angry right no no, no. <laughs> is, is that the Hulk or is that somebody else <laughs> uh, okay, yeah oh, that's definitely the Hulk uh, Callahan when he's angry he's really perfected uh, the art of killing somebody with one single stab into the into the base of their neck um, yeah. so <laughs> that's that's his mo and I happen to I happen to like the section at the, at the bottom of my neck where my spine gets into the rest of my body <laughs> so I, I will I will <laughs> yeah. I will give Callahan a wide berth. 
Um, but yeah, like this, like this section, you know, there's not, there's not a lot to remark upon because it is kind of a litany of, you know, towns and locations that he's gone to temp, you know, temporary day labor firms that he's worked for. Um, you know, he drinks so much that he eventually spends, I think like seven hours vomiting and he decides, all right, that's going to be it. Um, and good. But the section moves so well. Like, I think this is some of the best writing in the book. Yes. Um, besides, besides when they find or the first see the rose earlier. Yes. They're, yeah. Uh, they're, they're both very similar sections too, because they are presented almost as montage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he swears off the booze and keeps on moving whenever he feels like the, uh, the low men are on his tail. He like, he is almost picked up by some that like are driving by at 70 miles per hour, but slow down. Um, until he works his way all the way across the country to Sacramento. Um, and he's working for a terrible boss <laughs> um, mm-hmm. who just happens to throw a newspaper at him. Um, and there's an article on the front, uh, front page article about home, which in the, you know, in the intervening years since he left has become a real famous place. Like Mother Teresa ended up, you know, visiting there. Um, they were on the cover of Newsweek. Um, however, they're on the cover of this national newspaper because Rowan, Rowan Magruder, He's in critical condition because of a run-in with the Hitler brothers. You know, they, 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 they found him and basically beat him to within an inch of his life. And, you know, it's very realistic that he could die. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is the call uh, for Callahan to return back to New York. And that's where, that's where the story ends for now. Um, we're not going to find out how he gets black 13, even though the telling of the story is very much about, you know, like the point of the story is Black 13. Um, but we've kind of learned a little bit more about uh, the depths that Callahan went to, right? Absolutely. It's uh, having this additional insight of the character. I mean, Stephen King probably could have skated by with just being like, oh, here's a guy. He's a fallen priest. He did something with um, vampires, whatever. Yeah. But to take the time and really flesh this character and his story out, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and even though it is a protracted flashback to a different character's or to a different book's character, um, it really fits in pretty well, you know, because he has integrated into the callus so well and he is out of place here, just like, you know, four fifths or two, three fifths of our main characters. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the, the kids did good. They drew a good map. <laughs> Roland has to disappoint them by folding it in half. Um, even though, uh, <laughs> paper is sacred. Uh, I, I, I love that they define blasphemy for him <laughs> when he says, okay, this is going to look like blasphemy. Do you know what that is? Yes. It's the desecration of a sacred army. Yep. Okay. There we go. Fold. Um, <laughs> and Callahan takes them in for their first glimpse of black 13. Not really a glimpse. Um, they make Susanna stay outside cause they're really afraid of what's going to happen. They, they they don't want that the that black bowling ball to supercharge her demon baby, um, but they get to uh, he pulls it out of its uh, little compartment below. It's in a ghostwood box, um, and they can feel it. Um, the, I I really should have written down the line, but Eddie can even hear it like you know calling out to him and warning him, um, saying like, "Hey, you're only the only reason you're standing on firm ground right now is because I'm asleep and because." You know, I've decided I've decided to not fling you into the abyss right now. Um, and this is the first time we've really gotten a sense of how terrible its power is. Yeah, this is not a good ball. No, no. And Roland's already thinking, all right, well, we got to put it in that bowling ball and that bowling bag. But how are we going to transfer it without waking it up and being sent to nothingness? Mm hmm. Very good. Um, also noteworthy is the fact that the ghostwood box has some markings on it. Uh, there is the word unfound written in the high speech um, and also three symbols. There is a key, there is a stone, and there is an unfound door. No, there's a, there's a, there's a rose, there's a stone, and an unfound door. There we go. Um, is, uh, is, is what's on here. And that is a uh, kind of an allusion to a book, Look Homeward Angel. We're going to talk more about kind of what that means and what that entails when a little bit more of the twist of the final series is revealed a little bit. But it is alluding that there is something about, there's some kind of link between Black 13, 
um, the door that they're looking for and the rose that represents the tower. Mm-hmm. Yep. This book rules. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, next time we are going to uh, continue the telling tales portion. Uh, they're going to continue um, putting their plans together while Callahan uh, unspools uh, the latter part of his story. Uh, we're going to get acquainted with some really badass ladies who throw uh, who throw sharpened plates like they're James Bond villains, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, just a bunch of good stuff. Um, Autumn, any final thoughts about this section? I can't wait. To, just like always, I just want to go straight through until the end of the book. Like we'll just record until <laughs> about what maybe 10 a.m. tomorrow. We'll yep. just plow ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to edit out the loopiness. Um, so <laughs> we record for what about mm, 12 more hours, get four hours of usual of, of usable content out of it. <laughs> Cause I'm, <laughs> I'm very sleepy, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to stop myself from just continuing to plow through. I have to like keep pace with the show or else I forget things. Yep. Yeah. Um, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at at Mrs. Greer. That's M-I-S-S-U-S Greer. You can also find me on the Duckfeed Slack and the Radio Free Midworld channel. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for, for, for coming on. You can find me at Cole Ross on Twitter. Watch my uh, uh, streams. I stream horror video games on the weekends at twitch.tv slash duckfeedtv. Uh, that's usually in the evenings on Friday and Saturday. Um, and check me out on the other shows here on duckfeed.tv. Otherwise, though, you know the usual stuff you can do. Uh, most of all, we want to see you again next week as we continue Wolves of the Kala. Uh, until we see you, though, uh, I want you to have long days and pleasant nights. Mm-hmm.